Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From building a well-balanced college list and developing a payment strategy to creating a high school plan and more. Each episode will help guide your family through various steps of the process. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Very happy to have you all here with us today. Appreciate it. Uh, It's September. Seniors, you should be in it, in the thick of it right now. And if you are not, you need to get in the thick of it, because if you don't, your parents and your school counselor might be unhappy with you. So we are as busy as we get in the college admissions process right now. Um, and in this, uh, in today's show, we're gonna talk about how parents can be involved appropriately in the application process. And we're also gonna try to cut through all of the different acronyms, EDEA, REA, SCEA. There's a lot of things going on and we're gonna talk you through all of them. But before we get to any of that, I'm going to get to what I often find is probably the question that more families have than not, and that is around applying for financial aid and welcoming, um, I'd love to welcome my colleague, Beth Feinberg-Keenan, who is also a former financial aid officer at Northeastern. Hi, Beth. Hi, Beth. Thanks so much for having me today. Absolutely. Like I said, this is a big question for most families, and um, today we're going to talk a little bit about kind of how you apply for aid, and then also when and even whether you should, which is a lot of ground to cover. So um, we're going to get into it right away. And my first question for you is, what forms do families need to think about if they're going to apply for aid? So for families who are in the thick of it, hopefully this isn't a surprise, (laughs) what they need to apply, you know, what forms they have to fill out for financial aid. The FAFSA, Uh, The free application for federal student aid is still the primary application that families are going to be using to apply for financial aid. The CSS profile is another form that about 200-ish colleges require uh, to apply for financial aid. So families, if if you don't know what forms uh, are required by the schools that your students are looking at, then make sure that you're checking out their financial aid websites or, you know, kind of giving your students a to-do list and check yes. out which forms are required uh, for financial aid, not only for admission. And then depending on the schools that your students are applying to, some of them might require your taxes, uh, they might require your W-2s, they might have their own institutional application or maybe a scholarship application. So it's so important to make sure that you know every single form because I have to admit, like I've had conversations with families and they're like, we thought we were gonna get this scholarship. My student was a sure win. And then we're looking through everything and it's like, hey, I missed a form or I missed a deadline. Yeah, yep, can't do that. And actually later on in the show, uh, Lisa Albro and I are gonna talk about ways in which parents can be appropriately involved. And actually this is one of them, right? So if your student has the time, they can look the deadlines up or look up the forms that are required. But if you as a parent are sort of like, I need something to do, this is a great thing that you can be involved in. And and it actually leads right to my next question. So we're talking about deadlines and not missing them. So the big question that a lot of people have is when should I apply for financial aid? So in terms of applying for financial aid, you don't want to wait till your students admitted to apply for apply for financial aid and start that process. But every single school has their own deadline. The CSS profile is going to become available October 1st. Uh, so you, if your students, if the schools require that, you want to start you know filling that form out as early as October 1st. The FAFSA, we always tell families, and I think Beth, you can agree with me, we always tell families, you know, fill it out October 1st. But yes. this year is an anomaly. And there's some big changes in FAFSA simplification and the FAFSA is being redone. So that form isn't going to be available until December. But we don't know if it's early December, mid-December, or late December. So kind of just keep, you know, you know, stay engaged with us. Um, keep yeah. listening to our podcast, look, you know, interacting with our blog posts. And as soon as we find out, we're going to make sure that families are on top of things or even follow us on social media because we're going to put a Facebook post out there. We're going to put it on Twitter. We're going to, you know, we're going to put it everywhere. Right. You know, when is the FAFSA available? And then also scholarships. Like I was working with a family earlier today and it was just state school in Delaware. And it said that, you know, you have to apply by January 15th. 
in order to be automatically considered for merit scholarships. And you'll find that with many schools that your student doesn't have to apply, you know, early. So early action, early decision that you'll talk about later, but maybe they have to meet like a December 1st deadline. They have to meet a January 15th deadline, whatever it is. That is so simple to miss. And parents, if that's something you want to make sure your student doesn't miss to leave free money on the table, make sure you know what those deadlines are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, um, oftentimes families assume that you're going to apply for financial aid at the same time that you apply for admission, but it's different forms and it often, it can be different deadlines, right? Correct. It's often different deadlines, but typically they coincide that you're not going to wait till the student's been admitted till you start the whole entire financial aid application process. So if your students are applying early, typically your deadline, your deadlines are early November, maybe mid-November. If your students are applying regular decision, you might have deadlines that are a little bit later and maybe into the next year, but it's not going to be months and months after. So right. you might have a little bit of you know wiggle room, but I always try to encourage families to do it simultaneously. So if the student's kind of doing the admissions application side, parents, maybe you can jump on the bandwagon and start doing the financial aid pieces and getting that taken care of and checked off. Right, exactly. And and I do want to highlight two things that you mentioned that are really important. One being remain engaged with us because as this process, which is changing this year, as we get more details and the specifics, um, we're going to be talking about that both on the podcast, we'll write about it in our blog, we'll tweet about it, we'll post on social media. We also have already covered what we think is happening in these different areas. So if you if you haven't gone to our blog, you can go in there, you can uh, search information about the new FAFSA, and you can find more, what we've already covered, you'll be able to find there. Um, I also think it's important to note that, like you said, normally we would be like, hey, apply for financial aid, fill out the FAFSA on October 1. I think we believe that next year, so for those of you who are listening and thinking, I don't need to worry about that this year because my student is only a junior or a sophomore or a freshman, it should return I believe, right, to October 1st next year. I think you're right, Beth. We haven't heard anything different just because the form is just being revamped that, you know, they plan to use the the new form going forward, you know, bearing that there's, you know, any other changes that are major changes that will be made. Right, right, right. Caveat is always, we say what we believe is <laughs> happening in this very moment, but things could change. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times now, not waiting to hear if the student is admitted before applying for financial aid. Why is that? I know there are some families who think, well, you know, we'll just wait and we'll apply and that way if they're in, then we can find out more about the financial situation. What's the downside to waiting? So the downside to waiting is if you are a family who's gonna qualify for need-based financial assistance, you could miss a deadline. Mm -hmm. So I think we talked about deadlines, you know, a few minutes ago. So that's one downside is that you could miss a deadline. The second thing is that schools will go out with financial aid packages at the same time that students are being admitted or shortly after they've been admitted. So if you haven't completed the financial aid applications, you're not going to necessarily know what type of financial aid has been offered to your student at the time that they've been admitted. And the closer it gets to May 1st, when you have to deposit to that institution, if you have, if you're still haven't filed the form, and you're still waiting, you may need to make a deposit to a school without knowing if that school, in fact, is affordable if money and financial aid is factoring into that decision if your student can attend that college. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think the key is that there are families who think, well, I don't want them to, they are afraid that applying for aid is going to impact their ability to get accepted. Um, and we could talk about that in a second. And I guess my primary message here, and I hope I'm not stealing your thunder, Beth, is what good does it do you to get accepted if you can't afford it, right? But what are your thoughts around the whole, the impact of applying for financial aid on your chances of being admitted? So it's a tricky one. It is a tricky one. And I think that, Beth, you definitely bring up a great point because there are definitely some schools who may factor in your ability to pay. Uh, when they're making a decision. But on the same side, if you can't afford, if your child, if you can't afford to send your child to that school, what's the difference if your child gets in or not, unless you're willing to take on an exorbitant amount of debt. 
Right. And then you have to kind of like, that's a whole other conversation, you know? Right. And we'll talk about that in another podcast episode. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, that's a conversation for another time. But if your child is a very strong student and they can get in under their own academic attributes, then there really shouldn't be a concern if you're if you're applying for aid or not, how that might impact. Because the school might not even look at the financial aid applications and the family's ability to pay when making that decision. Right. But I think the families, you know, there are definitely schools that are need blind. You know, if the schools need blind and 100% need blind, whether you apply for aid or not, it doesn't matter. The school's right. not going to factor in your ability to pay. So your very selective schools or your IVs that aren't necessarily going to factor in your ability to pay, it's an right. issue. Yeah. And then there are schools, I mean, there's definitely a large percentage of schools that are need aware. So, I mean, if they are need aware and you are concerned and you don't think I was going to say you're going to have any eligibility for financial aid, then you know what? Wait, go ahead and wait uh, to apply because you want to make sure that the decision that you're making in terms of when you're applying for financial aid, that you want to have a clear conscience that it didn't have any impact or influence on your student's um, ability to get in. But right. in most schools that you know, we've talked to and colleagues on the admission side that we've talked to, most schools are pretty neutral. You know, if a student applies for financial aid and it's a strong student, it's not necessarily going to impact their ability to get in. It might impact when they're really coming down to maybe that last hundred spots, last couple hundred spots, and they know they don't really have any money left. I saw that when I was a work-study student uh, in college, and, you know, they knew that they couldn't fund these students. And they were like, okay, we admit these students, we deny these students, and we put these students on the wait list. But, you know, it's a great conversation. It's something really you have to think about. Well, and, and those students, I think it's a good point. First of all, it was a small per percentage, right? That's certainly mm -hmm. something that I hear from all my colleagues who worked at need-aware institutions, a very small percentage of the applicant pool. And it's those students who are on the bubble. And mm -hmm. again, if you are on the bubble and you can't afford to go if you don't get financial aid, it just, I almost figure, why not, why not get turned down and you know not get the aid? And then you don't get yourself into a huge debt hole. Um, I would really hope that if you walk away from this podcast episode that the message you received is if you need the financial aid, you really should apply for it. Um, you really don't know what your student's going to look like in that applicant pool. They could be in that given year a really strong applicant. In another year, they might be a fringe applicant. But if they were a fringe applicant, it's generally applying for aid is not the thing that's going to mean they don't get in. It's probably going, they're probably going to wind up on the wait list or even denied anyway, because the school just doesn't have enough spots. So yeah, it's a tricky thing for sure. Um, I'm, I'm looking back and, and I guess um, last question is probably around, because I think we talked about like, should you apply, should you not apply? What if you're pretty sure you're not going to qualify for, for financial aid? Is it worth applying even if you think we're not going to get anything? So it's not a straight yes or no answer. That's where you, where you have to look at pros and cons. I mean, the pros are in terms of applying are, you know, look at does the school require you to apply for financial aid to be considered for merit scholarships? Yes. And if you don't apply for that first year, is that going to impact subsequent years? I think NYU is a good example that they have it on their website. You have to apply for financial aid that first year to be automatically considered. Some schools will give out scholarships, maybe $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 for just applying. Yeah. So making sure that, you know, again, you're not leaving free money on the table. Um, if you think you're going to have a change in circumstances, another pro of why you think you need to apply for, you know, go through the process, or if parent loans or student loans are a way that you're going to pay for college, again, another reason that a pro of why you want to go through the process. But on the flip side, if it's really stressful to you, and you know what, you're not going to qualify for financial aid, and you're not going to have any change in circumstances, and the school doesn't require this for merit aid, you know what, don't. Yeah. Don't put yourself through that, you know, don't put yourself through that stress. And it's one thing that you don't have to do. And you can kind of just say, cross that off the list. And maybe in upper class years, you decide that you're going to have your student take out an education loan, or you need to take out a parent loan. And then you do it at that time. But I don't think it's a cut and dry answer about to say, like, you know what, 
if you're not going to qualify for aid, you shouldn't do it or you should do it. I think families have to weigh the pros and the cons to decide if this is the right thing for them to do or to cross off the list and say, we don't need to do it. Right. And I think the other really key point you made is that it they need to look at the rules at every school that their child is applying to. Because, you know, if you're thinking, oh, I'll apply later on and then my student can take out some loans, but you are at NYU, who has clearly said either apply for it when you're entering as a freshman or that's it. That's your only option. You don't want to be you don't want to be out in the cold. So all excellent points. Beth, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Beth, for having me. I really love being here with you. Absolutely. We love having you. Um, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about how ways in which parents can be properly involved in the application process. So don't go away. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. For 25 years, families have trusted Bright Horizons College Coach to guide them through the college admissions process. With nearly all of our students getting into one of their top choice schools, it's no wonder why. Our experience is unmatched. As former admissions officers at top colleges and universities, we've read the essays, reviewed the applications, and made the admissions decisions. We know firsthand what colleges are looking for. Ready to meet our team? Visit getintocollege.com slash experts to learn more. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burrows and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burrows and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific. Because everyone can make money in real estate. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, uh, to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We touched on this slightly in the first segment, but in this next segment, we really want to talk about appropriate parent parental involvement in the application process. And joining me is my colleague, Lisa Albro, who's a former admissions officer at Goucher College, but also a former school counselor. So she has seen parent parental involvement from the college side, from the school side, and then, of course, from our side here at College Coach. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Very excited. Um, so this was this segment was actually an idea of yours, and I love it because... Um, there's a phrase that for all the school counselors who are listening to or independent counselors who are who listen to the podcast, and there are quite a few, um, this phrase that we hear from parents sometimes and parents, so we're going to let you behind the curtain on this one, is this concept of we are working on our applications. And um, someone said that to you and you thought, you know, we should talk about this on the podcast because yes, <laughs> right. You know, like, and that word, that phrasing, we are working on our applications kind of is a, is a little bit of a nails on the chalkboard for those of us on this who do this work. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, parents, 
often are going through this for the first time, they don't, that's not, they're not really thinking about it that way, right? Yep. So, so w- when you're thinking about this, what are some areas, and I think there are quite a few, right, where parents can be involved in an appropriate way? There's still, we are not working on the application, the student is working on their application, but there are things they can be doing. What are some things that you would suggest parents do if they're itching to be part of this process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're right, Beth, it's cringeworthy. It's nails on a chalkboard. And yeah. I used to hear it. I still do hear it often. Uh, my response would always be to a parent when I was in the school setting, with all due respect, are you going to go to college with him too? And yeah. make sure he does his homework and wake up because, you know, if you can't trust him to get his applications done, do you really feel comfortable sending your student away? Right, <laughs> so, right, right. 100%. Um, Yet, I understand from the parent perspective, they're worried that what if, if he doesn't get this right, or if she doesn't get this right, if this doesn't go the way it should, then then their chances are nil. You know, they won't get into good colleges. The, right. You know, it'll ruin their future. And, you know, it just, it progresses into this, this ball of worry. And yeah. I always like to reassure parents that, no, you know, there are certain things that you can be involved with. I'm not saying to be hands off on everything. For example, for a student who's really, really busy, there might be some scheduling items that parents can take care of. There might be some proofreading that parents can do of, elements of the application. No, no student should hit submit on an application without at least one pair of eyes yes. checking it over, right? You know, crossing all the T's, dotting all the I's, making sure there's nothing completely amiss. Uh, talking about their college choices at the very beginning, talking about, you know, where they're applying and, and not just, yes, giving approval to some degree, but but talking it through together as a conversation. So they're hearing their child their student, their student is hearing them. Parents can express their concern about maybe sending their student away to too distant a, a school. Mm-hmm. Students might not be interested in a place that a parent might want them to look at. So talking through their college choices and making sure they're clear on their reasons for applying to each school. Right. And, right. and actually, for me, that's a big one. Um, you know, and, and I, we talk about this a lot with parents. And ideally, this is not a conversation that they're having in September of their child's senior year. But for those of you, those parents who have not had this conversation, no time like the present. And that is, if realistically, you're not going, you live in New York, and you are not going to allow your student to go to college in California, or you can't afford for the travel back and forth for them to go that far from home. Or really, if you have limitations in your mind about what's appropriate, you need to speak that before your child applies to schools that are outside of what your limitations are. And and I have given this example, so I apologize to people who've heard it before, but when I was applying to college, I grew up on the East Coast, on the coast. My parents drew a semicircle within a six-hour drive, and they right. said basically, anywhere within six hours, yep. because we can't afford for you to fly anywhere, but we could drive to you in that amount of time. And so I limited my applications to that range, right? And that seemed reasonable. Absolutely. So communication is huge. And and I don't see enough of that, unfortunately. Students have their own ideas and parents have their own ideas. They need to come together and, and talk those through. So there isn't a big butting of heads and clash when those acceptances come in or or once applications go out and, and parents are seeing notifications and saying, why did you apply here? Or, or when students are getting ready to hit submit and they say, well, I need you to, to I need your credit card to apply to this school. Why are you applying right. here? Talk it through before that point. Yes, <laughs> right. please. Right. Yes. please. But also things that parents can can continue to do, you know, any, I think I mentioned scheduling, right? Any visits or interviews, students don't have to do that because that's not happening directly usually with the the, the people who are making the decisions on their applications. Right. So it's okay for parents to do that. Or if there's any sort of like housekeeping or follow-up once a student has submitted an application and they're getting notifications from colleges, like items are missing or anything like that, parents can call the admission office and ask you know, to follow up, okay, is this received or what do we need to do to get this in? That's fine. No admission right. officer is going to say, oh, that's terrible. A parent shouldn't call here. That's okay. Um, getting them signed up, 
for standardized tests, making sure they're submitting their scores, if they are submitting scores, and if they have to submit official score reports, you know, those are things parents can do, and it's okay. Uh, certainly, I'm happy for students to take the rein on these things. I'm not saying that you have to divide these tasks, but if students are really busy, yes, there are, there are some tick items that a parent can handle. Um, right. I mentioned taking a look at the application, but also yep. the essay at some point. I, I don't ever want a parent involved in the essay writing from the get-go, but a parent might be a good sounding board with a student trying to figure out what to write about mm -hmm. because who knows you best but your own parents when, when you're the student, right? Um, but carefully I say this because sometimes I run into parents who have a very distinct idea of what they think a student should write and that doesn't end up being the best representation of the student either. So yes. I'm, I'm, I'm careful about how I how I recommend yeah. parent involvement there. I would agree, right? I yeah. think um, a school counselor could be a great resource if you're, well, obviously if you're working with an independent counselor, also a great resource, but parents dictating the topic, you know, they don't have the perspective. They have great insight into the student, but not necessarily the admissions perspective. And so I agree, it's sort of like a tread lightly, like I'm almost hesitant to, to suggest this, Yes. It could be good, but it could be terrible. So, yes. Yes. I, you know, I think the big message, right, is at least what I'm taking away from that is just you can be involved, but but quietly, yes. I guess, right? Like you shouldn't right. be strident about anything is right. maybe a good way to think about it. Right. And we shouldn't see your your voice or your fingerprints on any part of this application. If we're the admission reader yes. and we're looking at this, we wanna see your student. We don't wanna get the sense that, hmm, I think maybe maybe mom wrote some of this, or maybe, you know, this doesn't sound like something a 17 or 18 year old would say. Right. But certain phrasing, certain, even the, and you know, our, our group has had this conversation many a time with the, the double space after the period, you know, some yes. of us, of a certain age are still inclined to do that because that's how we learned how to type in high school. And some of us are not willing to give that up. I'm, I'm in that camp. Uh, uh, so sometimes that's a big tell, right? When, when you're looking at an essay and you see a double space after a period, you'll kind of immediately know that somebody older might have written that. Yeah. <laughs> so, or at the very least heavily edited it. Yeah. Heavily edited it. Exactly. Yeah. So be, be careful with this. Um, what else can parents do? And I think I mentioned before, you know, paying the application fees students, unless they're independently wealthy or willing to foot this bill, parents, you know, may need to help them out with that and probably should. Um, right. And, and I think for moral support, when going to submit that application, I know a lot of my students don't want to be alone when they do this. It's just, it's a scary thing for some kids and they just want to have somebody with them when they hit that submit button. And back in the day when we used to still work in uh, brick and mortar offices, a lot of my students would schedule a time to come into the office and sit there with their laptops with me just to have somebody there with them before they right. hit submit, just to you know, give it a once over again and just say, it's okay, don't worry. Because sometimes it's a little scary once you hit that submit button. You know? so yeah, no, 100%. Parents can do that, you know. And, and I would say, I, you know, I can provide the visual. My son was sitting on the couch beside me. We had one laptop. It was his laptop. He would pass it to me so that I could enter my credit card information. And then I would pass it back to him and he would press submit and we'd cheer. And then we did it again. Like, so he yes. applied to, I think, eight schools. And we did that one. And it was, and, you know, even like moral support, but also just what a moment and a wonderful moment in yes. your child's life. You know, if it, it shouldn't be so scary as it should be like, this is so cool. Look at you applying to college, right? Yeah, so exactly. I think exactly. that's a great moment for parents to be mm -hmm. involved, but not pressing the button. Right. Let so, your student do it. Exactly. All right. So we've talked about all the many different ways in which parents can be involved. Mm -hmm. um, one, and we have uh, some things in which we would wish parents would not be involved. One big one that I want to throw at you that um, that we actually did not talk about in advance, but came to mind when you were saying, you know, the parent can call with follow up. Oh, if something's missing. One thing I would really encourage is 
if the, you get a note from the college saying that something is missing, the first thing to do is not call the school counselor screaming right. at the top of your lungs that they haven't done their job. Because, and you could speak to this, the lag, right? So tell us about what is probably going on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as you know, from having worked in an admission office, things don't just instantaneously appear in a student's file. Even though most are being submitted electronically now, there are still there's some due diligence that the operations staff at the admissions side has to do. They have to log things in and sometimes, you know, sometimes physically handle things to make sure that it's logged into the file. So just because you press send doesn't mean it's automatically going to show in your file. So there right. is a lag time. So between hitting submit on your application and seeing on the common app that, okay, it's confirmed, I've sent this, great. Oh boy, they don't have my teacher recommendations yet. Oh, or, you know, counselor recommendation or transcript, these things are missing. Yes, don't immediately jump and say, why isn't it there? Understand that it might very well be there. They, they just don't right. have it logged in yet. And it takes a little bit of time for this to show up in your portal or, or in your common app or whatever system you're using to see. And sometimes they will send out notifications saying, hi, we've received your application, but we're missing this, 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 yes. and that. And you know it was sent or you believe it was sent. Again, don't jump off and, and run to the counselor or, or pick up the phone and start calling the counselor and yelling at the counselor. It's not the counselor's fault. No, almost 10 times out of 10, the item is already there. <laughs> right, right. And appropriate... An email, hey, we got this notice. Yep. Can you just confirm that you sent everything? Yep. And we're just assuming there's a lot, you know, whatever it is, there's a tone, right? Yes. So not, things not to do. Take a tone. There's no need for it. Okay. Take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. Things that probably, like you said, 10 out of 10 times, maybe 9.9 .9 out of 9 .9. 10 times. Right, exactly. It's been done. It's exactly. Been done. And, and having been the recipient of those ire written emails or, or, or voicemails or visits to my office. Many a time in my career as a school counselor, I have to say it's really unpleasant. And, and you know you did your job. You know you're doing your job. You know you sent something. And it's really hard to hear from, you know, from people that it's, that, you know, they're disappointed in you or they're upset or, and it's, there's no reason to be. <laughs> Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are a couple, as, as we start to wrap it up, what are a few other areas in which you would love for parents to step away, step back? Um, sometimes I see parents decide to add schools to a student's list after we've finalized a list. And it's always a shock to me. And sometimes I don't even hear about this until way down the road. Like, oh, yeah, well, I have to do this essay now. Well, why are you doing this essay? Right. Well, my mom wants me to apply here. <sighs> but we already finalized the list. Please don't do that. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. That's a big one, right? Um, oh, and I, this is one that you had brought up and I was thinking of it too. Calling colleges on behalf of the student pretending to be the student. I used to get yeah. those calls sometimes. I did and, too, uh, I did too. Such a bad idea, yeah, such a bad idea. Yeah. It's, I don't... It's a, optics are real bad on that. So parents, please do not pretend to be your student. If it's something they should be doing to pick up the phone and call, have them do it. But most of the time, it's it's not something that you have to worry about them doing it, it, it most of the time. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think those are, it's definitely an extreme example. But um, so not only can we tell because your voice is different, typically you don't sound like a teenager, but you also say things that teenagers wouldn't say. And yes. it's just a bad call um, yes. altogether. So, um, and then, you know, we talked about letting your child submit applications and we talked a little bit, but can you once again, essays, like where's the line where you'd prefer parents not cross? Yeah, I really don't want parents to dictate the topic. I think they can be helpful in some of the brainstorming. Sometimes when students are trying to come up with some ideas or, or to add some detail, sometimes parents have a memory of something that they can share, but I don't want them to be too hands-on with that. That's, yeah. that's just a, a kind of a minimum involvement, minimal involvement. Uh, I think it's great when a parent can look at an essay that's solidly drafted, like student and counselor or student and essay coach or whoever they're working with have decided, okay, this is, this is what I'm sending. I think for parents to look at it then and say, does this sound like you? Mm -hmm. That's where I want parental input. I'm not looking to parents to change it or edit it or alter it, but to say, I'm reading this and I hear your voice in this essay. I, right. I think this is authentic to who you are. 
Right. And if you don't, then to say, hey, you probably should sound more like you. Absolutely. Right. Lisa, thank you so much for joining today. I thought this was really helpful. I love the, the perspective you also bring from having been a school counselor. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we are talking about all of the different acronyms and early programs that are out there so that you know what you're getting yourself into. So don't go away. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. In every college application, there's that moment of pause before a student hits send. Is this my best work? With Bright Horizons College Coach, your student will hit submit with confidence. We take the guesswork out of applying to college. Students get help with everything from essays, summer planning and visits, to testing strategy, merit aid, and more. As for our results, 100% of students have earned acceptances, nearly all to one of their top choice goals. Visit GetIntoCollege.com slash experts to learn more. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I am very excited to welcome my colleague, Becky Leitling, who I don't believe has ever guested on the show when I have hosted, which is crazy to me. Um, <laughs> So I'm very excited that you're here today. You are not only my current colleague at College Coach, but you're also a former admissions officer from Tufts University. Welcome. Thank you, Beth. I'm so happy to be on the pod today with you for my yeah. first time. Yeah, I love it. All right. We are talking about stuff that should be top of mind for all current seniors and certainly things that are students who are younger and their parents should probably be kind of starting to put into their brain. And that is all of these different um, abbreviations for important, some of them are abbreviations, not all of them are, but for important deadlines and understanding what they all mean and how they might impact your decisions as you think about where you're going to apply and when you're going to apply. So first thing, rolling admissions. What is important about rolling and what does it mean? So rolling admission is my favorite type of college admissions plan. Me too. Actually, they yes. read applications as they come in, and then they give you an answer. Mm -hmm. What a concept. Um, the reason this is really helpful is that it takes away so much of the stress of waiting. And this is universally valuable, right? Like it's, it, you apply somewhere you want to know if you get in or not. Right, um, right. But also, if you are a student or a parent who is carrying a lot of stress about the application process and what are what are the outcomes going to be, where's my kid going to get in, apply somewhere rolling now. Get that yes yeah. in a couple weeks and sleep easy. Your yeah. kid's going to college. Right. And, you know, I just feel like there's a lot of awesome schools out there that do this. I think a lot of the schools that have rolling admission tend to be kind of big state public universities. ASU has rolling, University of Arizona has rolling, Louisiana State, Oregon State, Pitt. 
lots of great choices wherever you're living yeah. or if you want to go somewhere new, find your rolling school and get a yes soon. Yes, love it. The only thing that I would throw out there is that uh, for any school that offers rolling that's a little bit more selective, Pitt is one that I would point to. You want to get that application in sooner rather than later because if they're reading and filling their class as they go, that means some slots are going to be done. And I think same, right, for some of those bigger schools for more popular programs, they might fill up. So the sooner you do it, not only is it great because you get that answer, but also um, the better in terms of your your chances of getting in are going to be better. I think that's a really good point. And if you are surprised by the outcome or at yes. the slowness of your response, let's say you apply to Pitt tomorrow and mm-hmm. it's October 30th and you still haven't heard back, that's a helpful reality check or a mm-hmm. touch point that, oh, Pitt is it's a reach for me. And do I need, do I use that information to change the rest of my list? So why not get some data now? Yep. Absolutely. Love it. Good point. All right. So let's move on to one of the big ones and I'm going to put them together. Early decision and early decision two, commonly referred to as ED and ED2. What should we know about these? So this is a a bigger beast to me because it does come with a commitment In the application itself, the student, their parent or guardian, and their high school counselor all sign an agreement saying, this is a commitment that if the student is admitted to the school, then they guarantee that they will enroll within about a month of receiving their acceptance letter and withdraw all other applications. Yeah. And so this is a great choice if you have a top choice that is an academic, social, and financial fit. You can make that ED application a little bit earlier in the process. The decision will come back to you earlier in the process. And if it's good news, you're done. Get that sweatshirt, keep your (laughs) grades up, but live the rest of senior year knowing what your plans are. If you're not admitted ED, also helpful data to have in hand. Maybe you were shooting in the wrong area and you can use that information to inform your list moving forward. Um, But again, because you're making that commitment, ED is not an option if a big part of your college planning is to compare and contrast merit aid offers because yeah. it's a commitment. You're, you're promising to show up, and so you're removing any opportunity to negotiate or see what the options are. Right, exactly. And, and ED2 is the same. It's just a slightly later deadline. Um, so it is possible that if you had two top choices, one that was your top top and then your second choice, that you could do and they both offered, or one of them offers ED and the other offers ED and ED2, you could apply to that top choice ED, get deferred or denied, and then switch and apply ED2 to another school. Um, But the same uh, caveats apply, right? Has to be a top choice. It has to be a financial, social, and academic fit um, because it's the same binding process that ED1 is. And I know we have a lot of good podcasts, um, podcast episodes where we talk about ED and ED strategy there. So mm-hmm. we don't need to go into that unless you want to. But I also think this is a great way to think about your family's risk tolerance as you are thinking about ED strategy. Um, applying ED benefits the college because they have a handle on their enrollment numbers, right? If they've got a thousand beds for first year students and they can admit a chunk of kids who are promising to show up, that helps them nail the headcount. They're not worrying yes. about shorting on tuition. They're not worrying about having too many bodies and having to find a hotel for first-year students. And so a lot of colleges that offer ED do have a little bit of advantage um, for students who apply via that pathway. But when you're trying to think about like how high to reach for your, your yeah. reaches, there's no right answer. And that's where it comes down to your risk tolerance. You can see every college has a different acceptance rate. If you love you know, medium-sized campuses in the city on the East Coast, and you're looking at Columbia and George Washington and Syracuse, all of which offer binding ED, mm-hmm. you get to decide, you know, do I sh- do I shoot for Columbia with its 4% acceptance rate? Because what if, do I shoot for George Washington with that, you know, 40%? What if Syracuse, what if? And the yeah. right choice for you is not just which is the best school for me, but also... What am I, how comfortable am I taking my shot at ED knowing the numbers are not in my favor? The potentially first only shot for some schools, maybe two, but exactly. 
Totally agree. Um, all right, let's talk about plain old early action. What is early action? This, I think, is another great way to get information and to sleep easy this winter. Um, colleges that offer early action have a first round deadline. As long as you meet this deadline, we'll read your application first and we will send your decision first. Usually those decisions come back prior to winter vacation. So you can use that information to inform your January application deadlines. There are some colleges that don't get back to you until January or February and you've already applied everywhere else, but it is not binding at all. There's no commitment. You absolutely can wait until May to make your choice. You can compare merit offers, but you get that data earlier. Did you get in? Woo! Sleep easy, get that sweatshirt. Did you not get in? And was that a surprise so that you can change the rest of your college list with confidence? Right, right. Absolutely. Pretty straightforward. Um, I am noticing that more and more schools, and usually it's the larger state schools that offer um, early action, are bleeding into January and February, which is a little frustrating. But um, for many, as you noted, it's going to be before Christmas, um, and that is amazing timing. Let's get into my less favorite. Well, actually, wait, 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 wait. What? Asterisk, Beth. Here's the new trend: colleges that are offering both. Yes, they offer that's EA true. and ED. Yes. And I, Bucknell, not Bucknell, sorry. Villanova does this. WPI does this. Baylor, Case Western, Drexel, Babs, like Tulane. So yeah. there's a there's a November first application deadline. You could apply early action or early decision, and you'll hear back soon. And I think the difference there is just again, both of them give you helpful data. One of them is a commitment. One of them's not. Yeah. One of them comes with an advantage in your outcomes. Yes. One doesn't, but both of them give you data sooner. Right. Love it. Okay. So let's get into, there are two additional variations of early action. Restrictive early action, <laughs> less of a issue from my perspective. Single choice early action, <laughs> hate it with a passion. Mm. So talk to yeah. us about these, these two. So all of these deadlines are tools that the colleges use to manage their flow, right? Like thousands of kids are applying to colleges. You've got 24 or 42 admissions staff members processing applications. It really does help if you can kind of chunk it out and manage that workflow. The colleges that are offering single choice or restricted early action are using that tool to parse out their workflow. They want to stay in the market with all the other colleges that are offering these deadlines. It is not binding. You're not signing a contract that you have to go. Right. What they're saying is you can't promise anybody else something better than what you're promising us. Right. So you can apply early action. You're not bound to us. You can still apply elsewhere. You can still compare offers, but you cannot apply ED somewhere else. You cannot right. apply restrictive early action somewhere else. We've got to be the biggest fish in your basket. Right. Well, the single choice early action, it's even more confining, right? Like they're basically saying uh, you could apply to your state school, but no, you may not apply early decision or early action to any private institution. Um, they make little allowances like, oh, if there's a priority deadline for a scholarship, like, oh, boohoo, great, thanks, sorry, I'm just such not a fan. But you lay it out really well, like why the colleges do this. Um, I think my challenge with the schools that offer the single choice early action, Stanford and Yale and Princeton, and I wrote it down, and Harvard, of course, how could I forget Harvard? That's actually hilarious. Um, <laughs> They are so difficult to get into. Their early action acceptance rates and their regular decision acceptance rates are very, very similar. And I, I see too many students foregoing yeah. strategic advantages for what they feel is this one great opportunity. And then, yeah, I just, I, I it bothers me because I think ultimately yeah. it's a bad strategic move often. I think all of these choices, if, if early decision is in the mix with any of your colleges, there is always an opportunity cost. The yeah. opportunity cost, yes. if you do apply ED, 
and are admitted. Huzzah. You won't get to compare merit offers. Right. That's a huge opportunity cost for some families. The opportunity cost is if you choose not to apply ED at colleges that offer you that option. Yeah. Then you're back of the line, kid. Regular decision. It's February. We're stressed. We're scrambled. Our class is almost full. You have chosen not to take advantage of a potential piece. So I'm with you that if you are, if you actually like a lot of different schools and you're in a position where you could think about an ED commitment somewhere, there is real advantage to doing so. And instead doing that single choice, non-restrictive to Harvard or Yale, there's no advantage to that. It doesn't change your outcomes at all. Right. You are missing an opportunity somewhere else. Right. Exactly. And they will even say, if you, you know, be in our regular pool, they're very clear. This isn't an advantage. But students don't see it that way. And, and I, we should be clear that what we're really talking about here is the very, very, very tip top, most selective schools in the country. And there are many schools where you they might offer early decision but you don't need to apply early decision to be a competitive applicant. So many schools, right? So less people walk away thinking it's got to be ED. Um, I don't want that, but I also, I'm hoping people are listening to what we're saying about, and I love that you're exactly right. It's an opportunity cost and you really have to weigh the pros and the cons and, and, and make that call. Um, and also your, you know. your risk tolerance, right? Like if you're, yes. if your favorite school is, a probable school where mm-hmm. numerical, you're pretty darn likely to, to be yeah. admitted. You've got a really high risk tolerance with all these other things. Like if that doesn't work out, you, right. there's a great option. So there's really no like pecking order. There's no right or wrong. It's just making sure that the choices you make this fall allow you to actually enroll next spring in schools you're excited about. Yes. Love it. Very quickly, 30 seconds. Priority deadlines, um, that's not really part of what we've been talking about, but this is something people should pay attention to. What can you tell us about those? Priority deadlines are often for a specific opportunity, whether it's the honors college or additional scholarship consideration, schools that have some special resource that's in you know, more demand than supply will have a priority deadline. If that matters to you, if you are considering that program, make sure you meet it. Yes. It doesn't matter how far in advance you meet it. It could be the, the day before, but meet it for maximum consideration for that special program or that special scholarship. Love it. This is so great. Becky, thank you for joining the podcast. I love it. You've been yeah, a big, big hug. It's helpful. good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for spending right. the time on this lovely day. Absolutely. Uh, so again, thanks to Becky. Thanks to all my guests. Next week, Ian is hosting. He's going to be talking about the University of Florida um, he's also going to be uh, talking about the facts of the SCOTUS ruling. So we're separating facts from the feelings and really talking about what the impact we see potentially is. Um, don't forget, leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. The more we get, the easier it is for others to find us. Um, and if you have questions, send them to us at Facebook, on Instagram. You could email them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Um, and we are here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation. New episodes drop every Thursday. The goal of this show is to demystify the college admissions process for families around the globe. To help with this mission, please leave a review and share with your friends. And to learn more about Bright Horizons College Coach, visit GetIntoCollege.com.